0: We're brought to you today by On. I am a total gearhead. I love researching the latest technology for the sports I enjoy. And I've learned that people often overlook apparel. But what you wear isn't just clothes. It is, without a doubt, technology. Technology that can make or break Life in recovery is wonderful, and recovery.com is your partner in starting that journey. When you or a loved one need help, go to recovery.com and take the first step towards recovery. To find the best treatment option for you or a loved one, again, go to recovery.com. There are certain rare people who have a powerful voice and know how to use it. My friend, Amanda Decadene, is All right, me and my hype man, Adam, are back. I am taking roll call. Let's do this. Hey, everybody, welcome to the podcast. Another edition of Roll On, Roll On Life, I guess, our AMA Ask Me Anything formatted version of the show where me and my hype man, Adam Skolnick, journalist, activist, Author, co-author of David Goggins' Can't Hurt Me and Bon Vivant at Large joins me to break down, I don't know, current events a little bit and do things topical, answer listener questions, et cetera. So thanks for tuning in. Adam, how are you doing?
1: Doing good, man. Uh, um, I've been bon vivant at home. Right. Like the rest of us. You're getting your swim run workouts in though. I am. I've been doing a lot. I can thank you for that. that. I love this sport. It's pretty cool. I just got an it's email. Not cool. Did you get the email? It depends on how you define cool.
0: Did you get the <laughs> the email from Otillo today that they were going to be hosting their world championship event in Sweden and now they had to pull it? Oh, so I did it's not canceled. know that. It's canceled for the year. Yeah. And Inga Din doing, is is happening I think or not? That one is, ha- is That's happening. That's this week. Yeah, but the world championship event is getting shelved. I'm sorry. As to hear of that. now, at least. So. At the same time, we can still get out and swim, run.
1: I love it. That's it. Yeah. That, and what I love about it is it's not "quote unquote" cool. I'm the only person <laughs> that I see. Yeah, there's the entire nobody else <laughs> doing running it. around the
0: streets of Santa Monica with a pull buoy <laughs> attached to your leg in a wetsuit,
1: and 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 I don't even wear uh, goggles like most swimmers. Uh-huh. I wear a mask because I'm so used to free diving. So this <laughs> low profile swim, like really a free diving mask. Do you get any weird looks? Oh yeah. You get weird right. looks in it, but you know, I have gotten quicker. Like, it's interesting when I first started training for the Catalina race, I was like, not, I I'd been running on a treadmill and mm-hmm. now, and running on the street, like I was not very quick at all, but I have gotten quicker running longer distances during quarantine. I've definitely gotten more fit during quarantine. It's, it's a trip. And this last weekend, was the first time I actually shed the wetsuit and was just in jammers and a uh-huh. rash guard yeah. and a pull buoy. And it felt so much better running in that. Than yeah, the water in temp that, is good right Yeah, now. Yeah, 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 So uh,
0: I remember nice. when I did the world championship event a couple of years ago, I got together with the local swim run crew in the days leading up to the race. And we did a workout through the streets of Stockholm. So it was me and like, I don't know, eight Dudes running literally down very busy streets on a weekday in wetsuits with pull buoys and caps on and the whole thing. Yeah. And swim run is such a part of the culture there that no one looked twice. Like business people are walking down the sidewalk and we're
1: <laughs> running, you know? It's such a weird thing. It is weird. And then swimming in your shoes. I keep thinking yeah. like who... Who is watching me get in in my running shoes swimming? But right. I do love it. I mean, I have to say, like, there's something about the workout that afterwards, like, the combination. And I've been doing kind of, uh, like, a three-mile run, a 1.1-mile 1. 1 swim, and then, like, a two- to three-mile run on the back end. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, it takes me, like, an hour and a half. And I afterwards, I feel... Like, it's amazing how I feel. Yeah. I feel better than if I just ran or if I just swam. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: It's definitely a full body experience.
1: Yeah. It's good, been man. Fun, well, man. you're
0: looking fit. You might be the fittest I've ever seen you.
1: Thanks, man. But yeah. you have
0: a baby on the way, so things might shift a little bit. The dad bod is real. <laughs>
1: yeah. The fear of the dad bod. Yeah. yeah.
0: So, what we do here is we make a couple announcements. We're going to talk about a couple top of mind subjects. Um, we're going to share some good news, some show and tell, and we're going to take a quick break, and then do questions from the audience. So to kick things off, a couple I'm excited
1: quick- about this, by the way, it is this good. this new format. We're trying format, to, we're, we're, trying tightening to
0: it. we're trying to, yeah, we're trying to tighten it.
1: Yeah, we're we'll see how it goes. It. Yes, I'm not exactly uh,
0: circumspect in in how I speak, so I don't know how much i can adhere to the strictness
1: well you just tell the the pipe man to back (laughs) off if he starts if he starts cracking the whip
0: all right well it's your job to crack the whip all right um couple quick announcements up top uh voicing change update this is my new book very excited about it we're still in the process of finalizing it but most of the heavy lifting is done Uh, Timeless Wisdom, Inspired from the Rich Roll Podcast. It's going to be coming out in November. It's looking beautiful. I'm super proud of it and excited about it. I'll keep you guys up to date on exact release date, but I'm so proud of this creative expression, which was very much a team effort. Uh, A lot of really talented designers, and it's been a collaboration with them and with the guests, of course. So I'm excited to be able to share my guest wisdom in a different kind of format. So it's been going it. on in the background with everything else that's been going on. I've been working on that pretty um, intensely. Uh, also, if you wanna have your question answered here on the podcast, you can leave it on our Facebook group, but we would actually prefer you leave us a voicemail. Uh, that way we can play the audio on air, which is really fun. We're gonna do a little bit of that today. The phone number, just so you guys all have it, is 424-235-46 Six. And I want to thank everybody who filled out the survey that we posted on our Facebook group about this uh, subscription idea that we're working on. It was super helpful to get everybody's input and feedback. We're taking it to heart, and that is also something that is in motion, and I'll keep you posted on that as well. And then one final quick follow-up thing. Oh, yes. We waxed on the other day about Queer Eye and mm-hmm. Karamo, mm-hmm. and <laughs> this is... I still can't believe this happened, but a couple of days later, I got a DM from Karamo on Instagram, and he's like, "Hey man, I love the podcast. I'd love to come on. I, I, was, I heard you guys <laughs> talking about me,
1: which completely blew my mind." Has that ever happened before with other with uh, anybody else that you know. were kind of throwing Maybe. out there on the podcast? Has to have happened before. Maybe I don't know.
0: Might be the first time. Okay. I mean, I just couldn't believe that he. Yeah. I, st- I, I think he's. I think he's BSing me. I don't think he actually. Somebody might have told him, but. Uh, whether he listens or not, I don't know. We'll ask him. But I got him on the schedule for August, so I have that to look forward to. It's really Assuming exciting. that that happens. What was really funny about that is that my 13 year old daughter, who loves Queer Eye, she I showed her the DM. I was like, "Check it out. I'm going to get Karamo to come to come over." Uh, she's like, "That's not him. Like that somebody. <laughs> that's a bot account." And I was like, "No, it's got a blue star. It's a blue check." She's like, "Somebody hacked his account. Like she just couldn't wrap her head around." The idea that Karamo would have any interest whatsoever in anything that I'm doing. so I think, I she's think not gonna she gonna might believe actually it. listen to that she, episode.
1: She, she might, she, she, the first she's not going to
0: believe it in, <laughs> until he actually shows up, and then she'll wonder you know, how much I paid him or something, <laughs> I guess. So we'll see. But if you're listening, Karama, thank you. I'm really looking forward to
1: talking to you. It's exciting. I'm looking forward to it. I'm going to just come and be in the audience for that one because uh, I'm excited. Yeah, I, I I'm can't excited wait to, to hear him. Um, What are we doing now? The teachable moment? So, yeah. So uh, we're going to start with some top of mind subjects and and it starts with a teachable moment. So uh, what do you have for us? So one
0: thing that comes up a lot, and I get a lot of questions around this, is how to set and achieve a goal. So I wanted to just spend a couple minutes speaking broadly um, about my perspective on that. I think it's a nuanced thing. Like I do think it's really important to have a goal, but I don't think that it's crucial that you obsess about that goal. And what I mean by that is we have to have something to look forward to that then allows you to create structures that move you in a specific direction. Like you can't can't score if you don't know where the goal line is, right? So you have to establish what you're working towards and that brings everything else into focus. A perfect example of this is I dithered away most of the quarantine not working on this book right. because there was no deadline because we're self-publishing it. It just seemed like this ephemeral thing, and I could finish it whenever I felt like it. And what that meant is basically I got nothing done on it for like a year. Hmm. When we finally established, look, it's got to get done by this time, and that time frame seemed almost impossible to achieve, then I got my butt in gear and I created a plan and I worked towards it and accomplished it. For me, that's what it took. Maybe that's not the way it is for everybody, but I do think that there is something magical about setting a date on the calendar where you want to have accomplished a certain thing.
1: So not just the goal of write the book, but actually have a deadline imposed either, right. a, like an external deadline. I mean, deadline. the
0: goal in this case was complete this manuscript by this date, right? right? Okay. So the so deadline, a date, a date the deadline you know, creates structures around achievement of the goal.
2: Yeah.
0: But then I kind of forget about the goal itself. And I become very focused on the tasks that have to be completed every single day. So I break out a, a calendar, a big one of those big desktop calendars, and I try to figure out what has to happen every single day in order for this to become real. Hmm. And then my focus is just on what needs to happen that day. And I forget about the big goal, and I forget about even what has to happen tomorrow, Hmm. then it becomes about process. Because I really think that unless you can fall in love with process and immerse yourself in process, that the goal doesn't really matter. Um, and And I should say also foundational to this is that whatever goal you set for yourself should be the right goal, I think just picking any random goal is not great. Like that goes into a longer conversation about the inner work required to set the appropriate goal for yourself and understanding the why behind it. You need clarity on the why. Why is this goal important to you? Mm -hmm. What is it going to do for your life? Once you have that sorted out, you set the goal, and then you create all the tasks that have to happen on the specific days leading up to that. And you can create little stepping stone goals along the way that you can celebrate when you achieve them because that keeps you invested, it keeps you excited, it keeps you intrigued by this journey. Like I think it's good to reward yourself and take those moments periodically to celebrate the small wins because big goals are achieved by tiny little wins every single day. Yeah. So I think that's super
1: important. Um, I do a terrible job at that. I don't really give myself space to celebrate anything. You like should. That. I know. You
0: should. You know. I think it feels <laughs> indulgent to do that. Yeah. But I think what that does is it makes me feel more emotionally invested in the process. And again, it's all. I can't emphasize this enough. It is about process. And there's something about once you've initiated that process and you're working. You're moving forward and you're getting those little wins every single day that creates momentum. And there's something really magical about momentum. I just Mm. know for me personally, when I have momentum, then I become this moving object that's very difficult to stop. Mm. And I don't know what it is about that psychologically or neurochemically, but for me, it works. Once I've established momentum then other things feel like a distraction and I'm much more invested in the process itself. I would say in addition to that, that it's important to create accountability for yourself. You can be accountable to yourself, but I think it's also important to be accountable to externalities, other people who will help keep you on track. I think you need to be selective about who those people are. You want people who are on your page and are gonna celebrate you and are are also, you know, encouraging you towards the achievement of this goal. You don't wanna be accountable to people who don't believe in you or no. think that you're wasting your time, so who you pick to be your accountability partner, I think is really important. That person should also be somebody who's not afraid to call you out when you're missing the mark. You know, this is something that you see all the time with fitness goals. You do it with somebody else or with a small team or a group of people. You're more likely to get up at five o'clock in the morning and show up for that, Group run or that November project workout because you know your friends are there waiting for you and they're going to notice if you don't show up. Right. So it's the positive accountability, the people who are going to say, keep going, you're doing great, and the negative accountability of people who are going to hold you to account if you don't show up or you start to slack.
1: Yeah, and, and there's something specifically about writing books, too, that the process kind of takes over your brain in a weird way. I mean, it's well, for it's me. it's
0: so all-encompassing. Yeah, it's, you know? like, it's <laughs> yeah. like a
1: tunnel that you can't get out of, yeah. and the momentum becomes just charging through it. And it can become distracting. You can get, like, lost in the tunnel. Mm. But for me, when I'm working on something, then at any time of day ideas can pop in to improve whatever that piece of right. writing is that I'm working on, especially if it's a book. But then those breaks, whether it's
0: going out for a swim run workout or taking a walk or whatever it is, are important to then gain perspective. And if, often you don't, that's if you don't ideas do that, in, right, like, that's yeah. where the idea pops in or the thing you didn't think of when you're so mired in the details, you know, you have to provide space for
1: that. The well. problem solving. Yeah. Yeah. And then if you miss like a daily goal accountability wise, um, but you still have the bigger goal on the calendar. Do you have advice not to get too down on yourself or or how do you, like if you- if You, you start to fall off? Yeah, if you start to fall off, how do you refocus?
0: Well, I think you then recalibrate, you break out the calendar and figure out, um, all right, so I'm behind what's gonna have to happen for me to achieve this by this date. You either change the date or you create a different structure to which you're more likely to adhere. Mm. I think you have to do an inventory and say, why is it that I fell off or couldn't maintain this you know, daily routine. Maybe I was overly optimistic about what I could achieve in a certain day. Like, Mm -hmm. make sure that whatever you establish as your daily practice is manageable and fits within the construct of your busy life. If you, you know, overcast that, then you're setting yourself up for failure. So I think it's important that the things you have to do on a daily basis um, are, are very manageable. Because the truth is, in order to achieve big goals, you don't have to do that much in a single day as long as you're doing it consistently. It's the 1% rule. Like there's a compound interest that occurs. Like if you're showing up for a half an hour every day to do something, if you do that every day for a year or 18 months or, or two years or 10 years, the difference is astronomical. It's not just an additive thing. It's an exponential benefit that you reap from doing that. So again, it's all back to the now, the day. And it's related to principles of 12-step, which is, you know, it's just about the moment. Like, what are you doing today? Like in sobriety, it's like, make sure your head hits the pillow sober. That's all you gotta worry about. You mm-hmm. don't have to worry about tomorrow. With respect to achieving a goal, it's like, okay, here's a, here are the things I have to do today. And I don't have to worry about the things I have to do tomorrow or that big intimidating
1: goal that's looming out in the surface that just seems impossible. And there's a liberation that comes from like... St- all of a sudden, once you have it mapped out and you know it's about the little bricks to build the big structure, um, there's a lib- – you know when you're just sitting there looking at the big structure, this big design that you have in your brain and, and you're like, wow, how am I going to ever do that? Um, and you just focused on that. It, it does become intimidating. But right. once and you, even you start paralyzed. laying one brick, yeah, you can become right. paralyzed. But once you lay one brick, you realize, wait a second. I can do this. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just everything becomes manageable.
0: Yeah. And every brick that yeah. you lay creates additional confidence yeah. in your ability to achieve the thing that feels impossible. And a perfect example of that was me training for Ultraman. Like, mm-hmm. I, you know, I, like yeah. I wasn't, you know, contrary to what people might suspect or imagine, like, I wasn't some crazy gifted. T- You know, endurance athlete, like I worked really hard to achieve my ultra endurance goals. And when I began training for this race that just seemed like an absolute impossibility, it was hard for me to wrap my brain around the idea that one day I would get to a place where on the third day of this ultra endurance double Ironman race that I'd be able to run 52 miles. Hmm. And it was just brick by brick by brick over an extended period of time, you know, leading up to. Doing a forty-mile training run, which was like the craziest thing I could ever imagine doing six months earlier, that would have seemed impossible. And it's literally just by doing little things every single day that are moving you forward.
1: Beautiful, I love it. So, um, let's. Uh, there's a couple things we want to talk about from the news. First is uh, Congressman John Lewis is passing. Just mm. um, give a little bit of a, a recap. Um, John Lewis was the child of a sharecropper, um, ended up going to Nashville for college, uh, where he got involved in desegregation of lunch counters. Um, and that Nashville crew ended up being really foundational and formative of, of the student movement within the civil rights movement. He became a freedom rider, one of the original 13 freedom riders that rode Greyhound buses through the South to desegregate um, the national transportation system.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um He ended up the head of the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee, which is basically the student arm affiliated with Martin Luther King's Southern Christian Leadership Conference, which was his organization. Um, He was the youngest speaker of March on Washington. He led the Selma March. Um, He got beat. And uh, And he's been arrested like
0: 40 times. Yeah,
1: something like that. And um, a congressman for over 30 years. I mean, the man was a giant. Yeah, he was a giant. He was
0: the conscience of Congress and what a beautiful expression of life like somebody when i think about him i think about somebody who lived their life in strict accordance with their values mm. and and never really wavered even when you know basically culture and society was up against him like he was he had the fortitude and the sense of self to never you know basically allow himself to be swayed from what he believed in. And that strength, that center of gravity that he was able to hold for so many years is so powerful and why he's so revered, Mm. you know, he will certainly be missed. And it's interesting that, you know, he's lived most incarnations of this civil rights movement. I mean, Mm. instrumental in the Civil Rights Act getting passed all the way up through the recent protests at the very end of his life.
1: He let us sit in in 2016 in in Congress mm-hmm. at floor of the House of Representatives to try to force um, the Republicans to move on gun control issues. Yeah. Um, you yeah, so he was protesting all the way through.
0: Yeah. You know, I aspire to that level of advocacy and strength.
1: Yeah. Grace and Schaefer, who I know from my Outside Magazine, um, he used to be an editor there. He posted something on Instagram, just thinking about. The amount of courage it takes to march into the teeth of an attack uh, of you know it was it was vigilantes and cops on the bridge mm-hmm. in Selma, the Edmund Pettus Bridge, and to lead that group going in there unarmed, ready to get beat, knowing you could die, knowing yeah, yeah. knowing that
0: you know is a very perilous situation, and always you know his his whole thing was nonviolence
1: mm. from the beginning, yeah and learning those Gandhian techniques yeah. and to to understand that like I take away from like reading about him recently is just like like the incubator that was Nashville. You don't think of Nashville as an incubator for the civil rights movement, right. you know, but it really was cuz it wasn't just um John Lewis other people came out of that and and kind of the, the entire student arm of the civil rights movement came out of the the, the people right. that were working together in Nashville. Yeah. Um pretty interesting.
0: Yeah. He was beloved on both sides of the aisle. He was. And he will be missed. Obama wrote a beautiful piece about him on Medium and also the New York Times wrote an extended obit that is worth your attention and I can link those up in the show notes.
1: Cool. so then obviously the big issue here uh, this last couple of weeks has been the reemergence of a virulent COVID-19 in the mm. United States of America and all that that has wrought. And I think that we're both, we don't want to get too politicized here with it, but a couple of things have come out, stand out for me. And one that I wanted to talk to you about and get your take on was this idea of, of masks or anti-authoritarianism and and the American love of freedom and how that's being reflected right now in two very different takes on things. Mm-hmm. One is the anti-mask crowd who people who don't want to wear masks see that orders of mask ordinances around cities and states as uh, an example of authoritarianism. And then in Portland right now there are uh, extended Black Lives Matter protests and in and the city uh has been dealing with that for ever since george floyd died and more recently the federal government has sent in customs and border patrol agents that are basically jackboots on the ground that are taking people off the street even people who aren't at the protests have claimed to be arrested and and in blacked out cars by unidentified federal agents and then turned up the next thing you know they're in federal court Mm -hmm. so in a way that feels very authoritarian ist to a lot of people, especially those protesters, and and you have kind of those two things juxtaposed. On the, on the mask front, I was reading a, a great article in the Salt Lake Tribune by Courtney Tanner, and it was about how in the conservative counties, they don't want their children to have to wear masks. Mothers are spitting in masks uh, at county council meetings, um, and then you go to Huntington Beach. California, right. where the guys Chad and JT yeah, who what's their
0: YouTube channel? Those guys, uh,
1: Chad goes deep, <laughs> right? And and they have amazing. They, they, these guys are hilarious, and they turn up at like city council meetings all the time and troll the city council. In that council. video, they're
0: going around trying to give away free masks. They're trying to give people away are free getting masks. Super
1: angry at them. Exactly, and it's the same thing that's happening in Provo, Utah. So it's not just happening. It's not fringe, really. These mm-hmm. reactions to masks. It's so interesting. I yeah. think.
0: You know, what I find fascinating about this is the different lenses through which people perceive Mm. authoritarianism. On the one hand, you have the anti-mask crowd who are, you know, rallying against this edict that we wear masks as an infringement on their liberties. And on the other hand, we have these federal troops, essentially, this militarized police force that's patrolling the streets of Portland. Yeah in uniforms that don't have names and don't necessarily designate their authority and you know, unmarked vehicles and vans, et cetera, rounding people up, arresting people. And there's a certain contingent of people who, I would suspect that the people who are against wearing masks don't have such a big problem with that. And the question then becomes- And vice of course, versa. Yeah, and, and vice versa, right? So the, yeah, the people, exactly. So the question then becomes- what is truly authoritarian what is the real risk here where are we seeing inroads on our on our democratic ideals mm-hmm. in living in a truly liberty oriented democratic society mm-hmm. right to me you know and i have to like is this my cognitive bias like to me you know i don't have a problem wearing a mask it's a mild in- i don't like wearing a mask it's a mild inconvenience but to the extent that there is any evidence whatsoever that it might be helpful or protective for other people to you know, keep them from getting sick, I'm happy to do it. I'm happy to do it. But when I see troops in a city on federal authority against the wishes of certain state governors and mayors and, and local politicians patrolling streets and arresting people – Seemingly, you know, I I don't know. I'm not. I'm. I haven't borne witness to any of this, but I read that Esquire article about this. That's more deeply concerning to me, and yeah. feels like a greater threat to our liberty and far more authoritarian than this idea. Like, hey, let's wear masks and look out for each other.
1: Yeah, um, I, I talked to somebody who was at the protest in Portland on Friday night, and uh, and there it was similar to what we had here, where the police kind of did escalate the tension as opposed to try to de-escalate it. Um, but they did weren't If you police. ask them they who they police. are, will they identify themselves? I think that that has started to trickle out. It's, it's really hard to know exactly what's happening because when you come when you have these kinds of really tense situations, nobody is an um, objective observer, you know? So it's hard to know exactly what's mm-hmm. happening and what is mistake, mistakes being made that are legitimate infringements on civil liberty and what is like they're doing it on purpose like you know where where is that line it's so gray but we do know the mayor of portland has asked for the federal agents to leave mm-hmm. um we do know that um and you know there was this line from the salt lake coverage uh, this was in provo and one of the uh, leaders a republican who sits on the county council in provo said i don't like government mandates and he's a he's on the county <laughs> he's right. on the county council. He's I don't like government mandates, but and that's true, right? Like so a lot of us don't like it. So the question is like what is it in the American soul that makes us these love this lover of liberty but maybe to our own detriment to the point that we we want we don't want to be told what to do no matter what. But in this case in terms of the masks, people are doing it and it could really come back at them in, in the form of a of, of virus that could kill them. Like what is that? And and, and it's already kind of made us nationality non-grata all over the world. We're down to about mm-hmm. 28 countries we can go visa-free. Mm-hmm. Used to be we can go almost anywhere with the American passport. That passport has been devalued.
0: Right. So there's a there's a, a stricture on our liberty right there, our right. inability to to travel globally. Yeah. It's so fascinating how vociferous and angry people are certain people are when asked to wear a mask. And you see that in that comedic video with those guys. They're basically like, hey, do you want a free mask? And people are flipping them a bird and telling them the fuck off. <laughs> yes. And getting really angry. It's not a mask, right? it's a muzzle. So why is it why is it making people so angry? Mm-hmm. I think is one question. Like what what is that rage all about? And that's something we talked about a couple of weeks ago, right? Yeah. That like repressed rage that's just beneath the surface that I think has a lot to do with you know people feeling like they don't have as much agency in their lives as as they feel like they deserve, um, and that's a longer thing that we went into before. But juxtaposing that onto what we're seeing in Portland. And then contextualizing it with this, uh, this argument around free speech, like where, where, where is the speech being impinged? Like if you're unable to protest because you're going to get arrested, even if you're doing it legally, that seems like a greater repercussion and inroad on free speech than being told to wear a mask.
1: Well, they, they relate, right? And, why
0: is, and, and, and how and why did wearing a mask become so
1: politicized? Well, that I think k- takes us back to the QAnon and all that, all right. the YouTube coverage and and the negativity around this. The people who think the pandemic is a hoax, which you did hear in that in this that comedic video in Huntington Beach, mm-hmm. but you also hear it in the in the council rooms and in the protest lines in Salt Lake City and Provo that people don't believe they don 't believe in the virus, so there's this idea that we we want freedom to the point of our own detriment right There's something about that's very American about that that we want freedom to, so badly it 's to our own detriment and you know our friend Dan Butner studied this when he did Blue Zones of happiness like mm-hmm. where where is where does the paradox of choice kind of tip against you when you have so much individual freedom? That it actually works to reduce your happiness. Right.
0: So the example that Dan cites is Singapore, which is basically an authoritarian rule. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. Where and and also a place where yeah, basically where for certain seemingly uh, minor offenses, you can get caned, and you know the the repercussions are very severe. Yes. And yet the the happiness quotient there seems to be very high.
1: Yeah. Because Which is
0: super interesting.
1: Some of that's basic needs are taken care of mm-hmm. versus freedom. So here we we lost after freedom, but we don't do a great job of taking care of people's basic needs. Uh, you know, we we don't have the education system is, is has suffered. Uh, we could go all the way through the list. You know, so it's interesting. It's just something to think about. Like like with with the on an individual level, what do you think about that? Like for you, you kind of create your own discipline around sobriety around um, being plant-based, all of those things. And you could look at that as I'm not allowing myself this or that. But what has come with is there a freedom in that? Or is there a freedom within a structure that we should be aspiring to instead of all freedoms all the time?
0: Yeah, I think I think that's a really good question. Um, I think that if you look at any creative expression, some of the some of the most beautiful works of art come out of restriction right like the independent movie where they had no money and no time and yet created this amazing work of art that stands the test of time mm. had they had a hundred million dollars to do it and as much time as they wanted that doesn't necessarily mean that it would be of more value or even better right you hear this time and time again with artists like because there were restrictions placed upon them that forced a level of creativity that, that they were forced to tap into something that they didn't know that they had, right? Mm-hmm. And that brought greater expression to whatever it is that they were trying to say. You know, you could say the same thing, like to my own personal experience, okay, I know drugs and alcohol, I only eat plant-based foods, I've, you know, I've, I've removed a lot of things from my life, so I have restricted choice in certain regards, doesn't that mean that I'm less happy or that I don't enjoy my life? And my answer is that 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 it's quite the contrary. It's the opposite. Through that restriction, I have created greater freedoms for myself.
1: And there's no better parallel to what's happening because if, if we all wear masks and we can get a handle on this virus, we can actually have our lives back. Right.
0: And I think another thing- <laughs> Less restriction. Another thing worth <laughs> noting that, that, that he, our mutual friend, Dave Goggins would probably echo, is that we need to develop a greater capacity for anti-fragility. Yes. We need to be more emotionally resilient to everything that's going on. Yes. And that comes through putting yourself through difficult situations personally, where you become adapted to being outside of your comfort zone. Extrapolating that, it means that when you are in the presence of somebody who doesn't agree with you, or perhaps you're anti mask, but somebody wants to give you a free mask, you don't lose your shit. <laughs> you, <laughs> you, know, you don't to like fit in public. You can <laughs> maintain some level of equanimity and grace and kindness with other people. But the fact that everybody is so hair triggered by everything, when I see that, I see a lack of emotional agility. I see it. I see a very emotionally fragile populace that could benefit from maybe focusing more on their own personal challenges and trying to become a better version of who they are rather than shouting at other people who... Are voicing some opinion
1: that, that, right. that
0: perhaps they don't agree you, with.
1: You, you guys have to see the Chad and JT thing. Shout out Chad and we'll, JT. We'll
0: put a, we'll put a link up um, in the show notes. Yes, I think Casey tweeted that one out too. Oh, did he?
1: Yeah. <laughs> I um. My thing with masks. My hair trigger is the people that wear the mask but with their nose peeking out. Right. Which is basically like. Would you walk down the street with your dick hanging out? Well, of your there's pants?
0: that meme everywhere. <laughs> yeah, like it's the same as doing that. It's exactly. The
1: same. I know. Right. I see that all the time. Like, why wear pants? I see that all the time. I trust the guy. Like, I remember being in Paris and seeing a guy, like just a naked guy walking down the street, and he's less creepy than someone who's like half dressed.
0: I also told Chris Howe in one of our coaches' Corner episodes that we did one at the very beginning of the pandemic. <laughs> We were talking about masks, and I I said the masks masks suffer from a branding problem. (laughs) If we just called them aerobic capacity enhancers or something like – all the arguments around like you're breathing your own – you're breathing carbon dioxide, you're not – this is making you more sick or it's impairing your immune system. Like the science doesn't bear that out. It's not true. But to the extent that you may believe that – it's inhibiting your oxygen intake this is just making you a stronger human being your body is there you go. adapting to less oxygen which is making you a better athlete over time so if we just rebranded or renamed these things as athletic enhancers <laughs> cardiovascular maybe, yeah. aid basically yeah maybe <laughs> maybe they they would have a higher ad- adoption rate
1: i don't think so i think that uh, there's some web, there's some youtube video out there that we're not watching <laughs> Probably. That, that's it's not part of my <laughs> algorithm of suggested videos. No, no, the evils of masks. But, um, but you know, listen, I think uh, for me as a longtime travel writer where I, I had this many times with American Passport, like where I could just breeze through without a visa to so mm-hmm. many countries and to see that kind of flake away is sad to me, but I do understand it. And I kind of felt like at some point that could come that could happen. And um, to me, that's sad. Like it's, it's, it shows at one time, it was the passport that can get you almost anywhere without having to go through the process of getting a visa. Mm -hmm. And now most of the places we can go without a visa are in the Caribbean. The Bahamas just banned us. Um, We're banned from Europe. I mean, it's, it's unprecedented. Yeah. It it hasn't happened before. Yeah. yeah.
0: Well, the incidence rates are, you know, through the roof right now, Florida, Arizona, California, You know, we've got real problems trying to contain this thing. And to the extent that wearing a mask might help, I'm going to wear a mask. I'm super proud to announce
1: Cool. Well, let's go into something, another segment. We're calling it show and tell. And uh, where we get to talk about things that we watched, we saw, we're gonna, tr- you know, it could be food, it could be media. Um, well, let's start, I wanna start with Tommy Rives. Oh, right, we should start with While Tommy While we're Rives. on the subject Sorry. of
0: mass. So Tommy Rives, um, Tommy Rivers Puzi. for those of you who don't know, uh, is a legendary beast of all things, running, endurance, and ultra endurance. He's a beautiful guy. Uh, And a very accomplished runner. I think think his PR in the marathon is something like 218. He's won two, I believe, two consecutive rock and roll marathons. Uh, Beloved in the endurance community, a legend on the trails and the road. And uh, a guy that I met when I flew out to Utah to run the final marathon with the Iron Cowboy for his 50 Ironmans in 50 states in 50 days. And, And Tommy had spent quite a bit of time with the Iron Cowboy. I don't know how many Days of that adventure, he joined James Lawrence, but it was a lot, and so I got to run with him and mm. talk to him and, and spend a little time with him. And just a beautiful guy, loving guy, smart guy. He's got two daughters and a wife. Um, I think he's getting his PhD. I know he's a um, he's a, a physical therapist, but I, I think he was in grad school. I don't know if he completed grad school or not. But anyway, the reason I bring him up is because. He is in the ICU right now. I think he's been in the ICU for over three weeks, coming up on a month, with COVID-like symptoms. I'm not sure that he's been technically diagnosed with COVID. How old do you think he But he's got maybe early 40s, okay. I think. He has severe respiratory distress, and he's in very serious condition right now. And he's been posting videos on Instagram uh, sharing, you know, what it's like to be in his condition, and this is this is one of the fittest human beings you're ever going to
1: see. I mean, you said a two eighteen like marathon
0: specimen of, you know, just this the eight pack abs and just lithe and be, you know with the beautiful stride and just a magnificent, beautiful athlete, and, and and like I said, a very loving guy, and he's very sick right now. Mm. So there's a GoFundMe um, that's been set up to allow people to help contribute to his significant medical expenses. Um, and I just wanted to wish him well and alert people to the GoFundMe. This is a guy who's given so much to the community and really needs our help right now. So I'm going to link up that, uh, that GoFundMe in the show notes. And you can find him on Instagram at Tommy underscore Rives. Awesome. So we're thinking about you, Tommy, and his brother, uh, Jacob as well, who's been trying to help get the word out about this. We're with
1: you, man. Just goes to show you. And, it can he'll, hit and Tommy's
0: like, wear a mask, you know? Yeah.
1: Well, yeah. I mean, so it could hit you anyone. think
0: there is, look, people with metabolic disease, people who are overweight, people with cardiovascular and respiratory ailments are more susceptible to. COVID than, than More the average the seri- person. The serious aspect right, of COVID. Right, right. Yeah. And like I said, Tommy is not officially coronavirus diagnosed. Um, I, uh, it's it's weird that they it can't figure out what this is, but to the extent that perhaps this is COVID, um, this is a, a guy who you would think is very unlikely to be suffering to this extent from something like this. So just be aware.
1: Get well, Tommy. So um, switching gears. Switching gears. Uh thanks for that. Sorry about that. Yeah. My computer has died. All right. So I need to power it up. But let's get to uh Darren O'lean's new show with Zach That's Efron. Right. Down to Earth. So most people have probably been made aware of this by now,
0: but my man Darren O'lean, who's been on the Olean. podcast a bunch of times, um has a new show with Zach Efron on Netflix. It's called Down to Earth. It's a limited series. I think it's six episodes. Yep where these two guys travel to really cool destinations. Iceland, And Costa explore Rica. everything from regenerative agriculture to sustainable energy and everything in between. And yeah. this is really cool. It was the number one show on Netflix a couple days ago. I don't know where it is right now. It's certainly in the top five or 10 at the moment. Um, and it's been great to see... Darren get introduced to a much more mainstream, broad audience Mm -hmm. than he was originally. And this is a guy who deserves a spotlight as much as anything. He is um, not only one of my best friends, but he's a wealth of knowledge on so many subjects. And this is now an opportunity for everybody in the world to experience some level of his expertise. And I think it's great. And to pair it with Zach is you know this is a guy who can you know he's so world famous that that you know people are going to tune in just for him and then they get to see Darren and I just think it's really cool, so I'm really proud of them and there's a there's a kind of interesting backstory to this, which yeah. is that Zach got introduced to Darren because he heard Darren on the podcast right. So that's what got him interested in Darren to begin with, which is super cool. So I feel like... That's awesome. Like, I, you know, I helped, you know, behind the scenes, I helped these two guys get together. Um, In fact, I was out cycling a couple of years ago, my friend Connor Dwyer, who's been on the show before, who's really close with Zach and with Dylan Efron, um, Zach's brother, who I'm friends with. And they were going on and on about Darren. I was like, well, let's when we finish the ride, let's go over. We'll go over to his house. So I, br- I brought these guys over to Darren's house. They met him. They're like, oh, Zach, Zach's gonna be so mad that he wasn't here. And Darren's taking them through all his superfoods and his special water stuff mm-hmm. and you know everything like that. And that led to those guys getting together and ultimately creating the show. So I'm gonna take full credit
1: for the show. <laughs> no, I'm not you. But,
0: um, but, but I'm just really, I'm really excited about it. I think it's a perfect blend of kind of entertainment and education. It's certainly yeah. oriented around a mainstream audience. I think if you were to ask Darren, he would have preferred that it was, it, it struck a, a much more serious in-depth tone. But you know, in order for shows like this to kind of, cross-pollinate and reach the most number of people, they also have to be kind of light and entertaining as well.
1: So, Well, I think um, I would like to ask Darren, because for someone who has brought a, I mean, I'm 95% plant-based occasionally. I eat a little bit of fish, but less and less so now, but I've brought my wife who is plant based April to Mongolia for a month and uh-huh. you know Argentina and and Iceland looked to be in that same score like it's not easy to be plant based in some of these locations. Right. I would love to hear if you, when you I think you're going to have the guys on, right? It'd be good to have well, Darren answer to that. No, I'll ha- I'll have
0: Darren back on. Um, Zach has left the country. Okay. I don't know that I'm 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 at uh, <laughs> I can say where he is. I know where he is because I I wanted to get those on, those guys on together. Um I'll get Dara back on to talk more in depth about it.
1: That'd be an interesting thing I'm sure there's all kinds
0: of cool behind the scenes
1: stories. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. That'd be cool. Awesome. And then uh, another documentary, uh, but not a series, but an actual uh, feature length doc was finally released and and that was fabulous. I know you were excited about this. Did you watch it? I did watch it. Yeah.
0: We Are Freestyle Love Supreme. Yes. What a great movie.
1: It's an amazing movie. Do you want to tell people uh, yeah, the so, basics?
0: So if you caught my episode a couple of days ago with Dr. Andrew Huberman, I had for the audio version of the podcast, I had Utkarsh Ambudkar on for a brief like 15-20-minute segment to talk about the movie. Utkarsh is longtime friend of mine. Um, who has been on the podcast. He was on two years ago. I think it's episode 373, if I'm not mistaken. How did you meet him? Um, I just, I know him through friends of friends and um, he's friends with DK too. Uh, and what I love about Ukarsh is just this amazing, I mean, I love a lot of things about him, but but- his story is remarkable in this incredible arc that he's had from being somebody who was very talented as a young person, but also very much in his ego and and lost in his addiction, that it really hamstrung his ability to move forward in his career. And it wasn't until he got sober that he's had this beautiful renaissance where now his career is exploding. Mm. But one of the part of his origin story is being part of this small group of very talented artists called Freestyle Love Supreme, of which Lin-Manuel Miranda was a founding member of, which is essentially this group of people who would get together and do these freestyle spoken word spontaneous performances that were very audience engaged. It yeah, started like in a improv- bookstore. Yeah, it's improv, meets, but with a rap. rap battle. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. And and this is the kind of creative crucible that birthed everything from in the heights to Hamilton. Like yeah. Hamilton doesn't exist without Freestyle Love Supreme. Probably it not. all goes back to that. Yeah. And this documentary is a elegant and lovely portrait of not just that story, but the love and friendship between these young men, and they have incredible footage of them when they're all super young. Doing yeah, because like it started
1: out. Out. between Anthony and Tommy and Wesleyan, and was uh, did Lynn go to Wesleyan? Lynn team? went to Wesleyan. He, yeah, as so well. the, so four guys from Wesleyan basically that became friends, but two of them were really tight, and they were the they were freestyling together, and then Lynn joined the group, uh-huh. and it was like you know. <laughs> It's just right. like a supernova. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and uh, and they, you so you see these guys from a, the early twenties, and, and you follow them to the Edinburgh, uh, you know, theater the festival. festival. Yeah, the Fringe Festival. Uh, you follow them back to New York. They're like they get the keys to the, to um, a bookshop that that uh, became their their house theater, mm-hmm. a little black box theater. Um, and With like you watch thirty them. seats. You have like thirty seats, and then you see. You know, Lynn's arc, and you see how some people kind of. I think um, Ukarsh came came in a couple years later. later. Yeah. Yeah. But when he came in, he was like, like Lynn called him nuts and bolts, the best pure rapper they had. I know. It was crazy. Lynn basically
0: is like, he's the most verbally dexterous rapper I've ever seen.
1: Yeah. And, but then they trained him to like, steer it towards improv comedy mm-hmm. and make it lighthearted stuff versus right. kind of the big up yourself type rap battle mm-hmm. where that kind of tradition that he came from uh, it's so interesting to see the footage the footage itself is wor- is worth watching so you could see this and then then of course like you said you learn um tommy's secret to becoming a tony du- tony winning director latching yourself
0: on to a <laughs> macarthur genius just, just <laughs> yeah, follow yeah. lin
1: Manuel no. wherever he goes <laughs>
0: But the movie <laughs> is very clear that Tommy <laughs> elevates everything yes. that they do. Yes, like yes, Lynn yes. was was, you know, sure to point out that, you know, yeah. Tommy was the guy who could call him on his BS or exactly. tell him when he was missing the mark a little bit. And you know, the fact that those guys have stayed together through thick and thin and and growing older and all the kind of permutations of life and always come back to this one thing, like the reverence that they have for this creative, this very pure creative expression, the Mm -hmm. recognition that not only do they owe it to that for all the success they've had in their life, that it's critical in keeping them fresh and creatively inspired and active,
2: Mm
1: -hmm.
0: you know? And I think the lessons in there are, you know, respecting the process. Like, I think if there's anything, and Ukarsh pointed this out when I talked to him the other day, like the movie doesn't exactly demonstrate how long all of this took. You know, like this is going on for many, many years, you know, before Hamilton and then Freestyle Love Supreme being on Broadway and remind me to tell you the experience of seeing it in person. Yeah. But just the idea that it's friendship, it's pure love and devotion to a very particular art form that forces you in a way that other art forms perhaps... Don't do is stridently to be completely present and to be in the purest expression of your personal truth
1: in the moment too, yeah, right? In like, the moment, I, I love, I love when Lynn has to puke like before the right. show, like even every time now, like even now, yeah. And, and um, I mean, I think that's amazing. And like talking about Tommy, he's he's like one of those that knows how to coach the greats you know that's what they say about mm-hmm. great directors they know how to coach the best yeah. actors and the yeah. best the best creatives so yeah i think that that's not an easy skill to have i mean that's right that's amazing and chris jackson who was george washington in hamilton mm-hmm. um he was in this group from the right. beginning he was in in the heights so it's it does show you like the last like if you can form a band of creative souls like that you can yeah. stick together uh, it's incredible where that can take you. Yeah, um, and you saw them. I did. How did they, so you? Saw, I so, remember you going. It was like last fall, right?
0: It was in November. Yeah. I was in New York, and I was there to do some. I can't remember why I was there. Do some podcasts and stuff like that. But I was like, I'm seeing this show. Yeah, Ukarsh is like, I got you covered. I got an extra ticket for Bird, our 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 book agent. I brought him, and I had a sense of what it was going to be, but I was. Not prepared for just how transcendent this mm. experience was, like it was magnificent. I mean, bird was just like <laughs> the entire time <laughs> I've never been more entertained in a theatrical production in my life like amazing. I just was astounded at the skill of these individuals to do what they do because it's so inaccessible like mm-hmm. the the quickness of their mind and their ability to rapidly respond to what's happening and create something so extraordinary out of whole cloth in the moment, it's just very difficult for me to wrap my head around. So it was incredible to witness it. How long did it go? I mean, I can't remember, it was like an hour and a half. And it's very audience participatory. Mm -hmm. I mean, you see in the, in the documentary, they bring somebody up on the stage and they, they ask them about their day. And then they just create an <laughs> entire musical number out of this yes. person's mundane daily experience. Yes. Yes. And it's the most hilarious thing you've ever seen. Mm. Um, and then afterwards, we went backstage, Bird and I went backstage. And then we're standing on the stage after everyone left. And it's like, Ukarsh and me and those other guys and like Lynn's standing right there. And I was like, I'm looking at Bird, like making, I was like, how is this happening? Like, how am I standing on a Broadway stage next to lin Manuel Miranda yeah. with my buddy ukarsh Like, and I think about Ukarsh's arc and how it all could have gone terribly wrong and how he he pulled his life together and is now able to be in his full expression, doing what he loves and on a Broadway stage. Like it's just it it, it gives me goosebumps to think about it. And and it reminds me of human potential, hmm. you know, when we can become spiritually fit, what we're capable of doing.
1: And it's never too late to actually yeah. find that redemption, right? Like if you can right. dedicate yourself back to the cause and to yourself and to be kind of connected to your self in a new way and empowered 100%, 100%. way. percent um, One thing yeah. I
0: forgot to mention when I had Ukarshan the other day is is he's the guy, like if you missed my podcast and you don't know who this person is, if you watch the Oscars, you will remember he was the guy on stage who did a freestyle rap, like in the middle of the show, where he was talking about people in the audience. And uh, go back and watch that. It's pretty
1: incredible. I think I do remember, remember that. Remember that? I do remember that. That was Zukarsh. Okay. I do remember that. Yeah. Remember that? Yes. Amazing. I mean, if you're a fan of Hamilton, it's must see, obviously. Oh, yeah. 100%. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. Um, cool. Here's our big show and tell
0: moment. So we moment have a big coming show coming and tell. Up.
1: Yeah. Uh, there is a new plant-based product dropping right now. Uh-huh. It's a collab between KFC, <laughs> <It's> a, collab. <laughs> a KFC Beyond Meat collab. Uh-huh. It's called Beyond Fried Chicken. Yeah. And here so, it is. Blake,
0: there, it's, it's available in how many, like 59, 59 restaurants, restaurants in Southern California? Yep. Um, not every KFC. There was one in Simi Valley though. So yeah, Blake it's interesting the ones that on they, the they chose. It's
1: like, it's not the ones you'd think are f- in the communities that you would associate in, with like plant-based enthusiasm. Venice and Los Feliz. No, it's like in kind of the, the areas where there there, it, there aren't so many options, which I think is great. I, I think, think that showed, is good. Yeah. I
0: wonder if that was part of the calculus though. It must or be. how they
1: made those decisions yeah. about where
0: to, where to, you know, introduce They didn't it. tell
1: me that. Um, they did share, you know, one of them is in Redlands, which is near Loma Linda, which is a blue zone, kind of very much a vegetarian. Mm-hmm. Place and there's other vegetarian fast food places in Loma Linda. Yeah. Um, but they said it was a wheat and soy protein, so not the pea protein that you get beyond beyond burgers. Patty,
0: the burger is is a pea protein base. So this is
1: wheat and soy. This is wheat and soy. I'm not sure. They didn't they didn't kind of divulge if it's using the same cow gut machines Uh that from the but I'm guessing not. I'm guessing it's totally different. I know that it started in 2019 when KFC um, and Beyond got together, and I think it was KFC approached them, but uh, um, at least that's what the right. press agent said to me.
0: Beyond Meat is also available at Carl's Jr., I believe. As a burger? Their, as a burger. Yeah.
1: And Impossible is the fat burger place, right? Uh, Another place. Yeah, yeah, I think yeah. that's right. Yeah. Oh, no, well, I know. Burger, burger King is burger the King, impossible. Burger King is impossible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Carl's Jr. is Beyond, so, I think. Yes. Yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah. So we picked this up and the idea was we were going to do a taste test i've never tried this but then
1: adam informed yes. me that it is being handled by the right. same uh, people that handle the chicken and fried in the same fryers which is obviously that's not surprising
0: that's not ideal so it's as not a, ideal as for, a as for a, a machine as a vegan like i'm going to i'm going to forgo trying this for, for a that swim runner reason, reason, like myself reason.
1: that's not looking but to get adam on the but adam is going to try they look like chicken McNuggets. they do they they are so. They don't look like a chicken. <laughs> that
0: definitely does not look like a chicken. It
1: looks like a rhombus. It looks rhombus. like a Hot
0: Pocket. It's a, it's a rhombus. Yeah. Oh. I can smell it, though. Mm. Mm. It's probably
1: cold at this Smell those. Now. I mean, you can taste the herbs and spices. Yeah. Kernels, herbs, and spices. It's good. It has more of, you know, a lot of times the plant-based chicken products are very rubbery. Yeah. This one has more give. To the tooth, it does. It does have more of a chicken breast kind of uh, texture.
0: Yeah, Mm -hmm. chewiness, Mm -hmm. striated. DK, you should try one of these. Yeah, Blake and DK. (laughs) Yeah, come on in here.
1: I'm surprised you got DK on camera.
0: Why? Because you guys are. I'm going to share my. I'm going to share my opinions on this in a second. Yeah. All right, give it a go. Tell me what you think. You don't want one.
1: It does feel like Kentucky Fried Chicken on the outside.
0: Yeah. 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 I don't have a... It smells like Kentucky Fried Chicken, I can tell you that.
1: My palate smells, isn't yeah. as developed as Adam, but <laughs> I would eat this. I have no yeah. problem with this. All right. Especially knowing that it's healthy. It even it looks, looks like good. chicken.
0: So here's the thing. Yeah,
1: the texture. Mm-hmm.
0: Let's good. break it down. Sure. hmm You're approving.
1: Look, I also love Impossible Burgers, but... Mm-hmm. I don't think it's the healthiest way to approach your diet.
0: Right, so here's here's the thing. This is somewhat controversial, so I wanna kind of be very clear about my perspective and my opinion on this. I think the fact that there's this collab between <laughs> KFC and Beyond is a good thing. Just like I support Beyond Meat's collaboration with Carl's Jr. Mm-hmm. and Impossible's collaboration with Burger King. Like, these are improvements, iterations on a broken system. Now, these are not health foods. Even if this was not fried in the same deep fryer where they cook chicken, I might've tasted it, but this is not something that I'm gonna be eating. Maybe as a delicacy, like once in a very rare blue moon. But- um,
1: That's why people go to KFC for the delicacies.
0: Yeah, you're not going to KFC or Carl's (laughs) Jr. or Burger King to eat healthy, right? They call it the caviar of fried chicken. This is fast food. These are not health foods. No. At the same time, I think it's a good thing that this is happening. Mm -hmm. I think that this is a move. It's a pivot away from animal agriculture. It's a pivot towards a more plant-based world. Certainly animals' lives are gonna be spared as a result of this. Um, And this is a good- to the extent that we can introduce plant analogs to animal foods that people like and convince them that it tastes just as good and is slightly healthier than what they were eating before is a move in the right direction. And that's a move that I celebrate. There are a lot of hardcore vegans who would say, you know, you got to boycott Burger King, you got to boycott McDonald's and all these places, they're slaughtering billions of animals every year. That's all true but we have to celebrate the wins. And we live in a capitalist society. These gigantic conglomerates are responding to consumer demand. Mm -hmm. And to the extent that the consumers are demanding plant-based foods or plant-based analogs to animal foods that they like, that's something we need to support, right? We need to fan the flames of positive change. And if everybody starts buying the Beyond version of these Chicken McNuggets at KFC, they're gonna make more of those and less chickens. KFC, Burger King, McDonald's, Carl's, these are are companies that are not going away. No. Right? They're trying to adapt to the times. They're not doing this because they're trying to be amazing human beings. They're responding to consumer demand. They want money. Yeah, basically it's a capitalist pivot because this is where consumer demand is going. And the more consumers that demand plant-based foods, the more companies like this are gonna react and respond and move in a direction that is better for everybody.
1: Yeah. I mean, for me, um, I've come to uh, embracing a plant-based almost exclusively, I should say plant-based lifestyle because of the cruelty of the system and because of the water pollution and the, and the runoff that comes from it and destroys oceans. So Mm -hmm. um, the system being uh, animal agriculture. Um, So, you know that's where I come from, but I also have always liked fried chicken, and there's things I do like about that kind of old diet that I used to have, and so it's nice to, for me. I, I like having this option. Um One thing that troubles me a little bit from all these kind because of, they're they're like tech companies, Beyond and Impossible, and I yeah. love I I do like them and I buy their products, and so I'm. A and fan. I should
0: say in full disclosure that I own a couple shares of Beyond. <laughs> <laughs> not that that's influencing everything not that that's I'm any of your right business, now but, but i
1: just in full transparency <laughs> i like that um i don't but um but I, I i would i would but um i don't yet but the one thing that kind of is curious is is as as bad as the current kind of CAFO structure and these like the high density raising of animals is um you know, it didn't start that way. And it used to be um, food could be one of those things that you could empower smaller businesses and a family farm. And mm-hmm. it's obviously not that way anymore. Certainly
0: not with chicken farming.
1: Not with chicken farming. So I'm not saying that this is like going to change it. But there is something troubling about like the winner take all thing that happens from from when businesses, when the siphon of money starts going to fewer and fewer straws mm-hmm. right and 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 it kind of goes up and enriches less people is it's it's a little anti-democratic in terms of business when um a couple of winner Winners in a space take all of the money, and so I'm not saying that that's happening yet because there are competitors in in plant based foo- food space, um, but it could get there, and so that's one thing that I think about just long term.
0: Right. What do you think? In other words, that? you're saying to the extent that the Impossible's and the Beyonds and the perhaps at some point the Memphis Meats, yep. are going to basically create like an Oligopy of well, the, 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 plant-based meat animal. If it becomes big, foods, if it becomes
1: bigger and bigger, right. and like it's not just a million people, but it's like, or you know, I don't know how many plant-based people there are, um, but there's uh, you know fifty million people buying all these products uh, on a regular basis. Uh, if it's going to less and less people, then the wealth is going into fewer pockets. Mm -hmm. So, and, and that's kind of how we got into this current political situation that we're in now.
0: Yeah. I mean, thinking broadly about that, I think that is something to bear in mind. I mean, there is increasingly more and more competition. There were just a couple of these. Now there's lots of these companies that are, that are doing this and the technology is also rapidly evolving. Um, and you know, I wouldn't be surprised if a couple more companies start to you know, make make their mark in this space. I agree.
1: And maybe there's a way to do it where you're not just, it's not just, it's, it's not a factory here and a factory there. Maybe there's a way to expand it and employ people all over, Mm -hmm. you know?
0: Yeah. I mean, one downstream implication of this is the monocropping that you see with the pea and the soy and the wheat and all of that, which, you know, also needs to be
1: addressed. Quinoa did that too. You know, it's like, yeah. Um, there's all it's it's always trade-offs, right? There's no perfect solution. This is now one solution to get people who are going to KFC to maybe be like, you know what, today for my kids, I'm gonna get the Beyond chicken nuggets. Cause mm-hmm. I can't get my kid to eat anything. He eats the chicken nuggets. He's got to eat something or she, and I'm going to get him the beyond or her yeah. the beyond. Well, and anything's, that's a good thing. Be-
0: anything's better than chicken McNuggets. Right. Right. And these aren't so McNuggets. Let's, let's, Sorry, let's to start. Colonel. Yeah, exactly. But let's start moving in the right direction. And when we yeah. look at the, the, the biggest offenders of climate change, animal agriculture is up at the top. So to the extent that we're creating solutions that are admittedly imperfect, um, that are reducing our reliance on the CAFO system to produce food for wide swaths of the population, then that's something that's good. I agree.
1: Well done, guys. It's complicated.
0: All right. Let's do win of the weeks and then we'll take a break. All right. What do you got? Win of the Weeks. Well, you wanna go first? Well, my buddy getting a Netflix TV show and blowing up is huge. Like his book, I think is number 10 now on Amazon, (laughs) Super Life, and his Instagram went, I think he might've had like 70,000 and I checked this morning and he's at like almost 200,000 now in a week. So it's great. He should be, you know, he should have, he should have a New York Times bestseller and he should have a million followers on Instagram because he
1: deserves it and he's the real deal. So- That's my win of the week. Well done, Darren. And you know, what's cool is that the producer of that series, like the company that's involved were uh, Anthony Bourdain's, they used to do Anthony Bourdain's show.
0: Yeah, and it definitely, you know, it's a a tip of the hat to that genre of programming. Yeah, no
1: question. Um, My win of the week is live sports coming back, which is partly why I'm wearing this hat here. Go Dodgers, go Lakers, Um, and I've been waiting for sports you know not not every one of our listeners here are, are fans of the ball sport, but I am basketball fanatic, baseball fanatic and uh, there's a great vlog Casey Neistat tweeted it out and is a huge fan of it. Um, and it's by someone who's looked up to Casey for a long time. It's a rookie from the 76ers named. Matisse Theibel, and he was a four-year player at the University of Washington. He's now a rookie on the 76ers. And he brought his camera and his particular lens to the bubble in Orlando, where all the players are. And he's got a YouTube-style show. He started this channel like a week ago. Right. And there's like over half a million subscribers. Um, and he is rocking it with these really interesting, well-done, Uh, Edits of 10 minute videos where you're really seeing kind of this surreal moment in professional sports up close and personal. He he does everything. He shows you the testing, he shows you the food, he shows you how they're spending their time. He shows you a little bit of the practice court.
0: I think it's really cool. I saw Casey tweeted it out, you know, maybe at the very beginning, like right after maybe his first video. And he's like, this is my new favorite YouTube channel. And now I watched episode two and three today um, he's got almost a million views on on these videos. Mm-hmm. He's getting all this press interest and it definitely owes a debt of creative inspiration from Casey. He's got some cool Casey edits in there and yep. stuff like that. But what I took away from it, I think they're great. Like I was fascinated to, to see this, but you just see the mundanity of these yeah. guys who are stuck basically in a average hotel yep. in Orlando with not a lot to do other than go to practice and get tested, just waiting for something to happen. Like they're playing cards and they're trying to figure out like how to spend their time yeah. during the day. And you think of NBA players living this you know crazy lifestyle and you realize like, it's almost like they're like stuck in a dorm somewhere. Yeah, basically,
1: it's a trip, you know. Because going in, when you see that Florida numbers peaking, and you worry about um, people getting sick, and you think about it, but like watching this actually made me feel better about the odds of them getting through the season.
0: Oh, uh, the precautions that they're taking are insane.
1: Yeah, they're taking these crazy precautions. They have a lot of resources at their disposal. Um, there's really yes. Do some people who work in the bubble um, go home at night? And could they possibly get infected? Yes. Could that end up? in a player getting infected, theoretically, yes, but there are so many barriers in place. I feel a lot better at their opportunity of getting through it. I also think of like, it is surreal. Like I can't imagine going through that for like two or three months. Like the 76ers are a team that's a contender. They could be there for the duration. The Lakers yeah. could be there for the duration. I mean, we hope they are. But like, um, and there's all sorts of reasons why they're there. They're there for their own Financial interests; they're there for the greater financial interests of NBA players in general. Because if they don't get to certain financial benchmarks, then their the the deal they have with the owners could go away, and they could end up making Mm -hmm. less money as a collective in in following seasons. Um, But at the same time, they are there also to entertain, and. Um, they are taking a lot of discomfort and risk, and it, there is something there where' it's, it's a selfless act to go to the bubble in some ways too. it's not yeah. just a selfish act to get paid it's people who want to serve the game and, and are do and are putting themselves in this very bizarre situation and part of it is is a public service so i think I think mm. that I took that away from it as well. You know it would be wild if uh, if
0: Matisse's YouTube videos get more views than the games
1: that that's not, that's not completely out of the realm of possibility. Right. I, I mean, certainly some games he's gonna, he's gonna, <laughs> he's going Look, to, me, yeah. 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 He, he reminds me of, who's the tennis player? Uh, who's the young tennis player? Sissypas. Sissipas had a YouTube channel. You know, Pass is, is a top 10 tennis player, you uh-huh. know. Um, Matisse is is a rookie and he's kind of making his name. I mean, uh is a I love the FaceTimes he does with his dad, but, by the way. Yeah, oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah I mean, and, but he's, and, but you know, Poss had the same thing. He has a he has a YouTube channel that was doing well, but he as a top 10 player, he dropped it cuz he has other, mm. you know, this is kind of Matisse's thing of of able to get through the monotony, right? Mm-hmm. So he's, you know, right. 5 he's sitting hours in his a hotel room, he's got
0: nothing to do, so yeah. he's just editing these videos. For hours. <laughs> I know, it's it's amazing. All right. Cool. Let's take a break. Take a quick break and we'll be back with listener questions. All right. Cool. All right, we're back. So, listener questions, what do you got for us?
1: Okay, cool. We're gonna start with uh, some that we got through Twitter and Facebook. This is from Patrick Dean via Twitter. Really enjoying this format. Here's a question. With all the incredible online content out there, all the great videos and articles about everything from personal development and outdoor athletes to literary and social issues, how can we best ration our time? Thanks. Patrick.
0: It's a good question. I think I think the important thing to bear in mind is your ratio of consumption mm. to creation. There's this illusion like of productivity that occurs um, when we're consuming uplifting content. We <laughs> think we're actually doing something because what we're receiving is uplifting mm-hmm. and it's educational and it's informative and it makes us feel like we're capable of achieving our goals. But the illusion, of course, is that it convinces you that you've actually done something when you haven't. So I think it's really important. First of all, that's it's good. I think it's really important to be mindful of your information diet, the kind of content that you're choosing to consume on a daily basis. Yeah, Especially, great question in that regard. Yeah, right? and, yeah, the, and, yeah. The, and to the extent that we're in this, you know, stay at home moment for mm-hmm. a lot of us, we're spending much more time in front of our screens. And it's easy to just, Click and click and click and and mindlessly just hit the next YouTube you know video without thinking through is this the best allocation of my time?
1: Oh, it hits it for you.
0: Oh, it does. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It'll just play. <laughs> yeah. Unless, it just hits it. Unless you, don't have you to do
1: anything. interrupt
0: the flow. Yeah. Exactly. You can just relax in the Barker lounger. Um, happen. So yeah. So you gotta you gotta first be mindful about that diet, your information diet, your yeah. entertainment diet, and make sure that you're calibrating it so that it's in your best interest. Then you have to check the valence of consumption versus creation. Like there's that. a lot of talk about screen time, but I think screen time is too broad a term because you can be using screen time to write a book or like Matisse edit a video right. or you know write a poem like there's create music. There's there's plenty of creative productive positive ways to use screen time where you're actually in the creation process rather than the consumptive process. So the first thing is doing an inventory of how much of your screen time is consumptive versus creative and trying to calibrate that valence so that you're using your screen time for more creative output and then being objectively honest with yourself about the extent to which you're consuming content and perhaps diluting yourself into thinking that that's actually um, moving you f- towards your goals, I guess is the best way of answering that question. I like that. Do you digest or do you produce? And Mm. if you're not leveraging the content that you're consuming to produce or make changes or create forward motion in your own life, then it becomes a distraction. Gary Vee says this all the time. He's like, I hope that you stop listening to me and watching me one day because if you're stuck... On just watching those people who are motivating you, but you're not actually like if you just watch David Goggins videos all day long, but you never put the running shoes on and go outside or do a single push up, then you're missing the whole point of what he's trying to explain to you.
1: Yeah, right. Agreed. I like that the ratio of consumption versus creation. For me, I think of screen time. In, I don't. I don't even think about my computer. It's it's rare that like I'm on the computer unless I'm writing or working. Um, I think of my phone and when I'm on my phone, the screen time really is yeah. a consumptive experience. Right. It's not so much a creative experience, although I do take notes in my phone sometimes, so it can it can blur the line. What about
0: all those TikTok dance moves you got going on? Bro,
1: don't don't tell them about my TikTok <laughs> name. Do not do not mention right. my TikTok handle. <laughs> so in terms of consumption, are there like two or three kind of go-to things that you're always hitting? Like is there is there like a guilty pleasure or is there something that you're always like, is there a podcast that you Kind of listen to on a regular basis uh, beyond just kind of just something for you, not really even for work. I mean,
0: I would say podcasts are are the thing that I consume the most on on my phone, uh, and I've can, been consuming a little bit less because I'm not in my car as much. But when I'm out training, it's definitely you know that's my go to form of mm-hmm. edutainment, and I mix it up. I mean, I'd have to look at my phone to tell you what I'm listening to lately, but. It tends to be, yeah, sometimes I'll use it. I I listen to stuff that has nothing to do with anything that we talk about here. Like, if I, you know, I'm not listening to the shows that are similar to my own because that feels like homework. Right. And I need to, you know, broaden my perspective in other areas. So I listen to like a lot of tech stuff. I like, Kara Swisher and Scott Galloway mm-hmm. on their Pivot podcast. That's I a like good one. I like Professor Galloway's New Prof G show. I've been listening to that. I like Reply All, which is stories about the internet. Oh, cool! That are fascinating, like long form, kind of journalistic, deep dives into weird corners of the internet. I think that uh, those guys, PJ and, and uh, Alex, who hosts that show, do an amazing job. You know, I like storytelling. Yeah, I'll listen to some Rogan podcasts, but not all of them. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I I mix it up. Glad so I- yeah, Gladwell for sure. Yeah. Who is, I'll say it right now, nobody does an ad read like Malcolm Gladwell. He throws He's his the whole best. body into it. That's a full I body know.
1: experience. I want to watch There's it. a
0: whole production yeah. that goes into how he crafts these ad reads and the writing. That, that it's funny. It's his like, thing.
1: It's where he gets to be funny, I think, right. more than anything. And, uh, right. and he is funny. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I was listening to Revisionist History the last couple of days. It's the new yeah. season is out. Big fan? It is.
0: He's another guy I'm trying to get on the show. We've had emails back and forth and haven't been able to make scheduling happen. And that's one I really want to do in person. So I'm willing to wait a little bit longer.
1: I like it. Um, Yeah, that's another great one. Okay. From Bell Rumi on Facebook. Uh, I feel overwhelmingly disheartened by humanity. I'm generally a happy person and laugh all the time and still do, but I find myself wanting to get evangelical about stuff I feel passionately about. But when I do, understandably, I feel like no one wants to hear it. What can I do to abate these <laughs> feelings of powerlessness and fatalism about the future of humanity and the planet? A little light question for you. Yeah, right. I feel you, Bell Rumi. Oh, yeah, we all um,
0: do, man. I'm empathetic to the melancholy. Yeah. Uh, I understand what that feels like. Um, it reminds me of, of something I tweeted a long time ago that seemed to connect with people, which was something along the lines of, if you're breaking paradigms, you can't you can't really expect people to applaud you for it. Right. Like the the mainstream is not going to take kindly to your, you know, counter programming. It just doesn't work that way, no. right? So, if you're trying to do something different, if you're stepping outside of what is considered to be standard operating procedure, people tend to be threatened by that and they're defensive around it and they're not necessarily going to celebrate you or accept you for that choice. Um, And that's just part of it. It's not personal, right? So the first thing I think is understanding that this is not an attack on you personally and people who don't want to hear it from you um, are really uh, saying more about themselves than they are about any choice that you're making. And- I'm also reminded about the life of John Lewis. Like, this is a guy who basically has been spent, devoted his entire life to butting up against the system Mm -hmm. to express what he believed in, knowing that he was only gonna move the needle a little bit, but it didn't matter to him because this was his truth, right? So, if it's your truth, it shouldn't matter. And I think you need to just be clear on what your values are and focus on leading the life that you wanna lead. And step outside of any expectation or desire or need for anybody else to approve of that, and certainly uh, from you know, free yourself from the need to convince anybody that you're right in there and you're wrong because right. that's a recipe for. The fatalism that you're currently experiencing—it's like
1: the be the change versus trying yeah. to to get people to change, right? There's nothing getting, wrong with activism. No. I mean, I'm a big—I mean, you, we need activists, but sometimes there's a limit to what you can do in terms of person to person,
0: right? Yeah. So live your life, live your truth, feel free to express that, but create a healthy boundary between yourself and any expectations you have that you're gonna be convincing anyone else to do anything differently than they're already doing. And I think it's important to always lead with compassion and love and understanding. And that's Mm -hmm. another thing that John Lewis stood for, right? He's not coming from a place of anger and frustration and judgment. No. That never works for anybody. So to the extent that your advocacy or what you're trying to express to other people about your choices versus their choices, to the extent that that is tainted with, some level of judgment or sense of superiority, uh, that's not gonna work, right? No. No one wants to hear it for a reason because nobody wants to be told that they're doing it wrong or no one wants, and people don't wanna be judged. So you have to just live your life, live your truth. And the sense of powerlessness or fatalism emanates from this attachment that you have to other people changing. Right. Yeah. Control the controllables. All you can control is your behavior, what you're doing, and your reaction to the world. And to the extent that you can be more mindful and more present and more responsive and less reactive, the happier you're gonna, you're gonna be. As Guru Singh always says, less emotion, more devotion.
1: Ooh, Didn't like we it. say that the other yeah. the other day on the podcast? Yeah, 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 yeah. It,
0: I'm always thinking about that, right? That's great. More devotion, less emotion.
1: Yeah. And um, and all I can say is if you think people don't want to hear about biodiversity try telling them a swim story sometime. <laughs> try they, to get they won't somebody you excited <laughs>
0: about a swim run
1: race. <laughs> See how that goes. Try to give them the blow by blow. Here's what you're going to do.
0: You're going to put a wetsuit on and you're going to run down the street. You're going to love it.
1: Uh, all right. Now we're going to the voicemail. We're digging into the voicemail. So let's should we repeat the voicemail number for people so that they can do maybe yeah, we can put. Maybe
0: Blake can put that up on the screen too. So we love this wanna, new voicemail. Yeah, Adam set it, it up, 424-235-4626. It? 424-235-4626. One more time. I have to go back up here, 424-235-4626.
1: Awesome. Let's hear from Joe from Pittsburgh.
0: Hi, Rich and Adam. Joe from Pittsburgh. Uh, even with the question of schools reopening unresolved, many parents have already made the decision to homeschool or use cyber school this fall, myself included. Any thoughts or tricks on how to maintain sanity while both working and being a part-time teacher during
3: this unique time in history? Thanks, guys. And feel free to use this clip on the air.
1: So also that was echoed by Bill Lawrence on Facebook who was asking for advice on resources for homeschoolers Mm. because he knew that you and Julie did that at one point. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. So thanks, Bill and Joe, for that question. It's it's kind of a two-part question. One is homeschooling resources and the other is how to kind of Maintain sanity as a parent when you're trying to work and also homeschool kids. It's tough, you know. I don't know that I have the the ultimate answer to that. Um, you do, you're, but you're as container, somebody, you can lock yourself yeah, in the container. I have a shipping container <laughs> and I lock myself in it like a womb, and I say, "Don't bother me." It seems to work pretty well. Um, at the same time, Julie and I have spent some time homeschooling our kids, and we both have worked f- from home for quite a while, so we have some experience in this. So the first thing is is maintaining your sanity. And I think um, now that everybody is – or a lot of people are working from home now, and that's a new thing, I think it's important to have boundaries around what is work time and what is homeschooling time or, or, or uh, leisure time, right, because – when you're working from home, it can all bleed into, they all bleed into each other. And then you're kind of always working and never really working. And, and a lot of times you're not 100% present in whatever you're doing because these things are overlapping. So rule number one is establish your work hours. And during those times, that's when you're focused on your profession, right? And that, also, it requires you to, you know, communicate adequately with everybody in your family, your kids and your partner or whatever, so that everybody understands these are the hours when you're doing this thing, and here are the hours where we're going to be doing these other things. Um, and also, I think it's important to still create a little bit of structure around this beyond just the scheduling, like don't just sit in your pajamas all day, like, you know, it's easy to fall into a a kind of depressive melancholy when you're at home all the time. And just getting dressed like you would for a normal workday or just maintaining some of those practices, I think are important in maintaining your sanity as well. Uh, In terms of homeschooling um, resources, look, education is shifting. As Professor Galloway will tell you, uh, coronavirus is an accelerant on online learning, right? Like a lot of the traditional structures around education I don't think are going to come back. I think there's going to we're going to see a lot of mid-tier colleges go out of business. I think we're going to see this push towards more and more online learning and we're going to see a maturation of the technological platforms that are conducive to that and people are starting to realize that a lot of the cost that goes into education isn't really paying dividends. Like are you really going to pay you know, $80,000 a year to send your kid to USC when it's basically Zoom calls. Like that's gonna, you know, that's gonna really uh, upend the paradigm here. So this is being exacerbated and accelerated by coronavirus and we're not gonna just pivot back to the normal that we knew before. Like these changes are only going to accelerate. So what I'm saying by that is that online learning is gonna become more the norm than the abnormality. That doesn't mean that kids aren't going to eventually go back to the classroom. They will, of course, at some point. I don't think it's going to be this fall for very many people. So we're in this for the long haul. Uh, in terms of homeschooling resources, I mean, Julie and I, our, our paradigm with our kids when they were younger was very much an unschooling uh, methodology. So it wasn't a lot of you know Kumon and all kinds of online learning courses. We have tutors. We and we, we still do for for Jaya, who's homeschooled. We have a couple tutors that she spends time with every week and works on projects, and and she has some online um, stuff that she does through those tutors, but. I don't have like a list of, you know, these are the websites that you go to. Has Jaya, Jaya bigger, been
1: homeschooled this whole time? She has been, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah.
0: Well, she was at a school, she was at Muse for a while and now she's been homeschooled now for like the last two years. Oh, wow. Mathis goes to an art high school in downtown, but now that's all on Zoom. And it's been very difficult because the appeal of this art school was all the studio time and the darkroom right. time and all the practical you know, art-based education that she was receiving there that was her lifeblood. And now it's just Zoom from, you know, 8.30 in the morning to four o'clock at night and it's making her insane and I don't blame her. You Mm -hmm. know, kids are not wired for that. Mm -hmm. So to the extent that we're trying to mimic that classroom experience by dint of a screen, I think is a mistake. I think what we need to do is leverage the unique opportunities that are available to us to do something a little bit more creative and unique with with our children's education. One of the opportunities I think we have is to create a more experiential-based learning experience for kids where we look at what they're, and this is particular especially to younger kids, like look at what they're naturally interested in. Like what are they inclined towards when they're not being told they have to learn something? Like what are they... What are, what are the things that they're into? Is it comic books? Is it you know drawing pictures? Is mm-hmm. it you know tr- making beats on you know GarageBand? Like what do they do when no one's looking? Mm-hmm. And then try to figure out how to create some kind of learning experience curriculum that involves that avenue, that involves that discipline, right? And use that to teach everything from math to English right like if somebody wants to make beats well there's an opportunity to teach them math music is math right? right create compositions learn about musical notes and how they relate to math and you know figure out a way to you know translate the emotional experience of making music and listening music into words that can become an essay like i i really believe in in moving towards their natural interests and trying to figure out um how to to platform that into a greater understanding that involves other disciplines. It's a multidisciplinary approach. It requires a lot of attention and time on behalf of the parents. But I think that's how you get kids engaged in learning, by focusing on what they're already interested in rather than trying to compel them to be interested in something that they're not.
1: Oh, you mean like the American ethic of freedom? (laughs) Um, What do you mean by that? You have to, at least an hour a day, I want them to be indoctrinated on how freedom is so vital. (laughs) Okay. Um, That's important. Uh, no, but I think it's really interesting. It reminds me of an old outside magazine article that I read. It was like about unschooling his kids. Like he, he moved out to the woods with mm. his wife and his two young kids. And the whole idea was they weren't going to homeschool. They were going to unschool. Yeah. And they were just going to live off the land and do the best they could. There was like they... a
0: movie about that with V. Do you Remember Mortensen? that? Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: Well, yeah. the Captain Fantastic, right, that's yeah. different. I mean, Captain Fantastic, he ran a real school. Right. That he did, yes. <laughs> Those kids were smart. More well, like that movie, Hannah.
0: <laughs> yes. did you... <laughs> yes, it's like survival school. <laughs> that, was, right? that was different.
1: Yeah. That was it's like a very specific was like type of homeschooling. <laughs> Captain Fantastic meets <laughs> like the girl with the dragon tattoo. Yeah. Um, but uh, I think that's really interesting. Not mimicking normal school. What, what you what you pointed to there—that's liberating for parents because I think a lot of people want to do that because they think—and it's also that goes for don't mimic the normal workday. Mm. Like you, like you said, you need to be able to be okay with working. Four or five hours, maybe instead of eight, and do it in a really concentrated fashion. And then do the same thing with the schooling. Um, you know, maybe a morning session, and an afternoon session, and just like move the. These are all moving parts. They don't have to look the same way that they did. Uh, yeah. You and know, there's four, a lot of fear with ago. that. Yeah. I've experienced
0: yeah. this myself because I'm a product of a very traditional education. And I'm a successful product of that system, right? Yeah. I went to prep school and I went to fancy colleges and I went to law school. And so when I look at my kids, I think, well, they need to have that experience. Or, you know, I need to make sure that the value that I experienced is part of their upbringing. And for me, it's been a process of letting go of a lot of that because, in truth, the educational system is ripe for a reboot. I yeah, mean, we're sure. dealing with the legacy of a system that was created you know, at the dawn of the industrial age to basically create, productive, create a productive workforce that was capable. And it really hasn't evolved much past that in any real tangible way. Now, we have this moment, this interruptive moment in which we have the opportunity to really evaluate- the validity of this system and reimagine and reinvent it. And I think, you know, the hurdle for me has always been, well, if we're doing this unschooling method or if we're doing, you know, pursuing this in a in a, in a relatively um, untraditional way, like are they gonna know how to do math? Are they gonna, I had these fears like, well, they're right. not gonna learn about, you know, like pick any subject matter. Right. But when I really thought about it, I thought, well, Education doesn't really appreciate the value of the technological tools that are at our behest now. Everybody's got a supercomputer <laughs> in their pocket yeah. that has the answer to every question they ever want asked and answered. So this modality of read and memorize seems completely ludicrous in light of that. Yeah. And what we need to do is, is focus more on critical thinking skills, life skills, Leadership skills? Like, how do we produce a well rounded, self sustaining individual with solid self esteem and leadership skills and the ability to listen and the ability to learn and a love of learning? Like, what you want to do is create somebody who will become a lifelong learner. If somebody's enthusiastic about learning and you have a phone or a laptop, your education doesn't have a start point and an end point. This is something you will have your entire life. So how can we instill that in young people? How can we get them excited about learning? And Again, it goes back to what I said at the outset, which is focus on the things that they're interested in and demonstrate to them that no matter what that interest is, it's, it's like a seed that can then blossom or flourish into learning about... Many different things.
1: because it could intersect yeah. with all these right. other disciplines. Of course, everything intersects everything. with everything else. Right, it's one big web. I like that. That's really good. And I like um, what you said about mid-level universities, because I, I always knew that Trump University wasn't the university. <laughs> it was the time. Yeah. It was the, if, he, if he launched it now, it would be mm. a huge hit. It would be a huge hit. Maybe. Um, yes. Uh, Julie from Southern Minnesota. Let's hear from Julie. This is a good question.
2: My name is Julie from Southern Minnesota. My question is, what advice do you have for a person who's on a fixed income, about 40 pounds overweight, Though nobody ever guesses me at my current weight of 180, Um, and with a knee that's been giving me problems because I'm now 51 and arthritis has decided to take up residence in my knee. So, any suggestions? Um, obviously, I don't want to be a elite athlete, but I do want to take up running. That is one of my dreams and goals. Mm. And so, I'm just wondering if you can give me a Cliff Notes version of how I work up to that. Um, otherwise, I'm in good health, just chubby with a bad knee. <laughs> Thank you.
0: Hi, Julie. Thank you for your question. That's a good question. Mm. A dream of becoming a runner. Mm. I like it. And I appreciate and applaud your, your honesty. Um, first of all, I'd say I'm not a doctor, so I'm not in a position to give you medical advice with respect to your arthritis and your knee. So I don't know exactly what's going on with your knee, and I, I'm, I'm reluctant to you know, say anything that's going to um, exacerbate whatever's going on there. So the first thing is I would go to the doctor and figure out exactly what's going on there, what you can and you can't do so that whatever activity you do um, take up isn't going to make that knee problem worse. To the extent that it's manageable, my best suggestion for you is to get out and go for a walk. These things start with that, right? You're on a fixed income. It doesn't cost anything, to go out and walk. You don't need to buy fancy shoes. You don't need to buy anything. All you need to do is put one foot in front of the other. And if you ask any of the people that I've had on the podcast who have gone from being severely overweight to becoming ultra runners, people like Joshua Johnny, it started with a walk around the block, right? And you just build very gradually upon that. So that's my only and best suggestion is to just begin Whatever excuses you're telling yourself about what you can and you can't do are keeping you paralyzed and stuck on the couch. And it really doesn't have to be anything that scary or onerous than that initial walk. And then after you've been doing that a little bit and you walk a little bit further and you walk a little bit farther, maybe try to jog for 10 or 15 yards and see how that feels. And then the next day you go a little bit longer and you stay on top of that knee and you ice it and you go to the doctor and you eat foods that are healing, that are anti-inflammatory, that are anti high in antioxidants. And the weight will start to drop gradually. This isn't like a crash diet thing or a, a situation where you're going to snap your fingers and your life's going to change overnight. This is a lifestyle shift. The idea is you want to make this shift that has staying power that helps you fall in love with movement that brings joy into your life by virtue of exercising your body so that it becomes an embedded habit and the easy choice rather than the hard choice. So walk out the door, walk around the block, celebrate the small wins, start to make tweaks, small tweaks in your diet, and as you start to see very gradual results, you'll experience what we talked about at the beginning of this podcast with respect to goals You'll start to feel more emotionally attached to this journey, more invested in it. You'll develop that momentum. And before you know it, it will become a self-perpetuating motion machine that's gonna take you on an amazing
1: journey. I like it. And physical therapy can also help with a knee sometimes. Right. And to get advice from a physical therapist um, would be something I'd recommend. Help me with I had a really bad Foot for a long, long time, and if you so, if you haven't explored physical therapy, you can usually get that even on a fixed income. You can usually get that um, with uh, your health coverage, whatever that may be. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, if your if your if your insurance covers that, great. Beyond the physical therapy and and going to the doctor about your knee, the grand total cost of this experiment is zero dollars. Right,
1: I love it, um, and. I remember when I was first getting back into running after being on the shelf with that foot problem for a year. I uh, started with five minutes running, five minute walks. You know, you, mm. you like a fartlek type thing, but not at a high intensity. Yeah. Is that something you recommend too? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: I'm a big believer in that. Yeah,
1: yeah. Run walks. Cool. We got one more for you. This one is from Cleveland, Ohio, from Allie.
3: Hi, Rich and Adam. My name is Allie. I'm from Cleveland, Ohio, and it's certainly okay for you to put this on the air. My question for you is what your relationship is to money, and I know that you briefly touched on this in the last episode, but I graduated college um, a little over a year ago. And I actually decided to pursue a career in finance because I know that it can be, um, A, lucrative. I have student loans to pay off and goals of my own. But B, I understand that it's really important for people to have a solid financial plan backing them so that they can actually reach their goals. But at one point, at what point is it too much to be saving, you know, too much for retirement or caring too much about what you have in the banks, you can do things in the future, and, you know, choosing to live your life now, because I feel like I'm very, very frugal right now with the hope that in the next few years, I can do more of what I want to do, but it certainly takes away from the sort of purpose I want to have in my life right now, because I'm so focused on saving and acquiring money for the future. Thanks, Richard and Adam. Love you guys.
1: Thanks for your question.
0: You sound like a very responsible person. Totally. Much more responsible than I was. She would have had nothing
1: age. to do with me when I was 20. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> um, it's a great question. I think that uh, it's important to be fiscally responsible as a young person and to, to develop healthy habits around money um, at a young age uh, and, a, and a healthy respect for what it can and can't do.
1: I respect that she paid her way through college. Yeah, it's incredible,
0: right? Anybody who does that, like celebrate that person right there. Um, And I think it's perfectly acceptable and laudable to pursue a career path that will provide you with financial stability. Like I suspect if she paid for her own college that she might be coming from a, a background in which it wasn't as financially stable as she would have liked and and people who who come from that background are going to be the people who are more likely to pursue a conventional career path that's mm-hmm. going to provide them with the financial stability that they lacked. I'm just I'm just projecting, but it sounds like that might be the case here.
1: Yeah.
0: 100% understandable that she would want that and need that because that if that's the case that was lacking beforehand. Yeah. I think what she's getting at and what's important to reckon with here is this idea, well, I'm gonna get, I'm gonna create financial stability for myself, and I'm gonna defer those things that I really wanna do um, for the sake of creating that foundation. The idea behind that is is perfectly fine, like I said, but the fear is that you never get to the purpose part, right? Because what happens, and I've seen this a million times. I saw it in law school with people who were like, I'm going to go into you know, – I'm, I'm going to go work you – know, The people, a lot of people go to law school because they want to help humans in certain ways, like in a nonprofit context. But then you accumulate all this debt. Right. And these law firms come along and they're dangling six-figure starting salaries and, and people say, well, I'm just going to go do the corporate law thing for a couple of years, pay off my debt, and then I'm going to go do the thing. And what happens more often than not is you – you acclimate to that salary and you start to create a lifestyle that only that salary will afford. Mm -hmm. And there's a keeping up with the Joneses thing that starts to occur. And before you know it, you're leasing a car that you can't quite afford and you're in a mortgage and all these things then make you stuck in a career path. And it makes it more and more difficult to then shift gears and pursue that passion. purposeful life that you had aspirations for as a young person. So the good news is you're super young. Your whole life is ahead of you. Pursue that career path in finance, create that foundation of financial stability. But I would strongly suggest, not that you're not doing this already, but that you live as minimally as possible um, and refrain from any of those expenses that later on can prevent you from being nimble with your career, you know, it sounds like you're good at saving money, which is fantastic. Um, and also to remember that it's important to, to invest in experience, right? If you keep your overhead low, you create choices for yourself mm-hmm. and flexibility with your career path. And you have the ability to invest in experiences, whether those are trips or learning things that you wanna learn in your life, career, other hobbies, things like that. Um, as long as you can do that, then you then have the freedom to make those changes later later on in life.
1: It's really great advice. Um, the only thing I'd add to that is- You didn't do any
0: of those things as a young person.
1: Me? I didn't. No, you didn't, yeah. <laughs> no. Well, you were a dashing swimmer at Stanford. Uh, no,
0: but I made a lot of mistakes that I wish I could change. So my my message to young people is always like live lean, Right. You know, and, and and try to protect that ability to be flexible and nimble.
1: I think that's right. And I, I think that's great advice. And it seems like she's on that path. It doesn't seem like she's acquiring a whole lot at this mm-hmm. point. Right. Yeah. Um, But I would say that this, this, this craving for purpose is real and FOMO is real. And sometimes Mm -hmm. we're so attached back to the the consumption, but so attached to our phones. And we see people living lives of so-called purpose or having these experiences that are like, you know, bucket list type experiences. And, and, and she's like grinding it out, saving money. Um, First of all, a lot of that is, is false. It's not as great and or ideal as it, it looks like. So don't, don't, you know, you got to make sure to check yourself. I'm not saying that she is indulging in f- or or subject to FOMO. We, we all are at some level. Um, but the other thing I would say is, purpose doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be sensible career or purpose. It can be mm-hmm. both. And mm-hmm. and your purpose doesn't have to be your sensible career. And in in the interim, I think purpose is going to be really important for you to be able to get through kind of grinding weeks that are harder to get through. And one way of doing that is volunteering or finding some way to connect with something that you do care about. Um, so I, I, I would say that there, there are ways to mitigate that in the interim before you kind of make that nimble jump to- I think to that's a really important career.
0: point. And we think of like- purpose in this binary context. Like you're either in this financially secure career or you're living this purpose-driven, you know, it doesn't have to be that way. And it's not that way. You can find purpose in, in any, in anything that you're doing in any pursuit. And if you feel, you know, bereft of that in your particular career choice, you can find purpose in just trying to be of maximum service to the people that you report to, or just doing the best job that you can.
1: Absolutely. You can like Zen in on the, the actions you're taking at work. You can, you know, volunteer as a literacy coach or something like that, or, or help people with finances that might need help mm-hmm. or uh, people in trouble with their mortgages, whatever it might be. Yeah. yeah. And uh, but yeah, uh, thanks for the question. It's a good one. Cool. I That's I what we, we have, man. We did it. We wrapped it. How do you feel? I feel good. I like that we're we're shaping this thing into something. Uh, well, I
0: told you at the outset, yeah. we could create a structure for it, but ultimately it's gonna tell us what it wants to be. And I think we're slowly finding that. Yeah, But I think we're hitting a, a good stride with this.
1: Yeah. And uh, it's always good to be here, man. Thanks for having me. Of course, man.
0: My pleasure. We'll be back in another two weeks. Uh, in the meantime, you can follow Adam at Adam Skolnick. I'm easy to find at Rich Roll everywhere. Don't forget to hit that subscribe button on YouTube, Apple, or Spotify. As always, you can find links to everything we discussed today in the show notes on the episode page on my website, averageroll.com You can submit your questions on the Facebook group or on the voicemail, 424-235-4626. At some point, I'll uh, I'll memorize that. Yeah. And, uh, and tell
1: me how you feel about wearing a mask. No, don't. No, but, <laughs> but wear a mask. And don't yeah. tell me anything about your feelings about it, but just wear it. Right.
0: Mask. Um, all right thanks you guys I appreciate you uh, I don't take your attention for granted it means a lot that you sp- spend this time uh, with me and with Adam every, yeah, every thank couple you guys. Weeks, so appreciate it thanks to everybody who helped put on today's show Jason Camiello for audio engineering production show notes and interstitial music Blake Curtis to my left here for videoing today's show and creating all the clips that we share on social media Jessica Miranda for graphics uh, Allie Rogers and Davey Greenberg who generally do portraits but no one's here today uh, Georgia Whaler for copywriting, DK, my man right over here for advertiser relationships, and so much more, D-cur? including taste testing, the Beyond KFC He taste tested
1: like three of them. <laughs> I know.
0: And theme music by Tyler Trapper <laughs> and Hari. Tyler Pyatt, Trapper Pyatt, and Hari Mathis. Thanks for the love you guys. See you back here in a couple of days with another amazing episode. Until then, what do you want to sign off with?
1: Don't you do your I put you on the spot. Me? Yeah. Be cool, be kind. There you go. Peace, plants. Namaste.